Hey there, Matt here. Before we get started, just want to let you know that we will be sprinkling some book knowledge into our podcast. Don't worry, they will not spoil any aspect of the story. They're just more supplementary. However, if you're a person who absolutely hates book reader knowledge in your TV talk, then this podcast probably isn't for you. Also, we're sorry. Anyway, here's the podcast. Hope you enjoy it. Dedicated to George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire book series. I'm going to struggle here. I don't think I can do an accent, so I'll just do a flat reading, Matt. And the HBO Game of Thrones franchises. Oh, no, no, no. You... Don't worry about accents. I'm the only one that acts like an idiot most of the time. <laughs> don't, don't worry about it, dude. Do whatever you want. You're listening to Before the Dragon. Don't tell me what to do. Do, 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 do. Serious talking time. Serious I, it felt like Sci-Fi Channel to me is re- really what it felt like, that kind of level. And and don't get me wrong. I said this in my initial reaction. I totally understand how absolutely impossible it is to do these kind of animals. I think this will finally prove to people like Kelly and Holly why they didn't do the direwolves more. Simply because those kind of, and to John... Simply no. because those kind of animals are difficult to do. No, You can try and blow them up. They don't look natural. You can try and recreate them the way they did some of these things. They don't look natural. It just It's impossible to duplicate nature. More, I didn't have so much of a problem with the models themselves. I had a problem with the animation of them. It was the animation that seemed so incredibly unnatural. There was a shot of the white heart that I thought was pretty cool. Uh, but... Uh, I wanted it to be just a little bit further away, <laughs> and I didn't yeah, want no. to be drawing on something. Uh, so that was just me. Uh, okay, I'm going to get off that quick, soapbox. Quick, quick, dire wolf aside on that, Matt. I don't disagree with your thoughts. However, I will say, Lord of the Rings and Peter Jackson proved to us you can do forced perspective with real people and real animals and make it look legit. Because we all know Elijah Wood is short, but he ain't that short. It's spinning. It's oh, it stopped. Oh, oh I can't. I can't see that. Ke- Kelly, yeah. Kelly, you got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was a short spin. It landed right on. I can read it. The words are pretty big. Otto will try anything. Won't he? I mean, oh. come on, guys. I thought that I. The one thing that I really loved about this was the fact that it wasn't like Viserys disqualified it because of the incest. That's something that's been in his family all the time. It was the age difference that really got Viserys about that. And the fact that, uh, you know, that Otto is proposing this so early, but all of the hints about the white stag and, and how it could mean as a sign for Aegon, because they're just happened to be celebrating his name day. And all of this stuff, Otto is, and then he says, "Well, this none of this worked with the king, so I'll just send my daughter again." And she doesn't even do it. Uh, one of the things that I really loved about that fact was, or about that was the fact that Alicent chose to not address it. Well, she kind of got in her father's crawl about it by just simply saying, "You know, why would I have my son be the one who takes, you know, his uh, half sister's birthright away?" Um, she did say that to him, 
but she got as soon as Vicera seemed so aggravated about the subject of Rhaenyra, she actually turned it into something that was smart and focused and needed, albeit three years too late, if you ask Damon, but it was still needed. So let's go to you, Susan, first on this, and then I'll come circle back around to Kelly and John again. Yeah, I mean, one of the earliest scenes in the episode was Otto speaking with his brother, the Lord Hightower, who was definitely pushing him to do what he could to get the uh, um, Amon named as the heir. So, um, you know, it it didn't surprise me. And uh, again, I'll go back to my examples from from last week. When you go, go back into medieval history, sometimes they did these betrothals with kids when they were little tiny infants. Um, I think Henry VIII's daughter from his first marriage, Mary, was in, you know, betrothed several times to different princes every time that Henry VIII wanted to make a new alliance. And then they'd break it and then engage her to someone else. So, I, you know, the idea that you would do that with a small child isn't uh, isn't so out of the ordinary, but the age difference was pretty strange. Yeah. The thing that I've never understood, Kelly, I'll go to you right after this, but the thing that I've never understood is why fantasy writers have a tendency to take middle age properties and values and apply them to their worlds. Is it because they don't have Jeeps yet? Is it because they don't have tanks yet? Uh, and therefore they must have something that's similar to the horses and lances that they had in, back in the fantasy world. I don't get that. Now I do understand that George was trying to do a tribute to the war of the roses and other things in medieval history in the course of his writing. He didn't right. duplicate it. He didn't have to have the same kind of rules exactly. Um, and that's what bothers me about all, almost every single fantasy writer is that they incorporate these kind of rules when they simply don't have to. It's the first time. It's the first time that in a while that I've actually looked at Viserys and said, "Oh, thank God he said that." Uh, <laughs> Kelly, how about you? I agree. Um, I, I think that the the reaction, like they're, I think they're easing the fandom away from like this being normal. Like it's perhaps more reluctantly done in the times of need but whereas you know Rhaenyra called him out and said like if it was for duty you would have married Lena and he agreed and I think they're saying like these characters are not so steeped in the uh culture of you know the necessity of marrying and, and alliancing um all the time that they are you know that they overlook the awkwardness or the non- preferable scenario that they end up in um in those cases so i think that they're they're at least making it more realistic and i was glad that that it got brushed off but um i liked what um what susan said about otto being it seemed like otto was getting um manipulated or at least pressured from his brother mm -hmm. there like i kind of felt bad for otto in that scene at the beginning so it kind of gave me a different perspective on his um ploys for the rest of the episode and kind of looking back retrospectively on his previous actions wondering how much of this is how much of this is he doing to be um mm. power hungry and how much of this is being pressured from outside mm. forces don't, don't make me ask the question kelly odd on or odd off <laughs> <laughs> to be fair i mean like just like everyone else like they they may be making the best decisions in the moment but they are still at fault for any decision that they made that led them to that moment so he's st i'm still out off out off <laughs> <laughs> john you get the final word on me 
Okay. No, it's interesting. And um, I, I guess that, that was the one thing, one question I had, and you probably see in my notes, I was asking, like, I, I didn't know who that was. who was kind of whispering in Otto's ear about Aegon. So to know that that was his brother, I find that very interesting to, to Kelly's point. I totally agree. When I was seeing that, I'm like, okay, this kind of puts a, a spin on like what Otto's kind of, what his game plan is. Like what, what is, and I think he's, to me, I think he's a little less little finger than we were kind of thinking ahead of time. He's more of like, for lack of a better analogy, like a golf player. What he's doing is he's getting up to the tee. He's reading the wind. He's like, okay, where do I have to shoot this? What makes the most sense? Does it play with my favor? Does it not? And right now he's like, okay, I got some other people saying like, maybe Aegon should be there. And it's like, it's, because I think he might have been all in on like, you know what, we, the air's made up, we're good. Like, we, I got Allison where I need her. Like, like she, my house is secure. Like, I, I think he might have been, been sated and satisfied where they were. But then this was presented as an idea and he's kind of like, hmm, maybe we can get a little bit more out of this. I mean, the fact that he now has a grandfather to a Targaryen, I mean, that's already a huge, ambitious kind of like, ladder climbing type aspect but the fact that i think he could be the grandfather to the king now i think now that other people are kind of saying yeah that's a possibility i think this is what kind of piqued his interest and he's like i can make this happen now if other people are into it i can make it happen that's an excellent point uh because it does seem like uh, you know viserys spends nothing but the entire hunt uh encountering people who are trying to arrange a marriage for Rhaenyra, uh, whether that be, I mean, you can even look at, at uh, Lionel Strong, and, and he even poses it that it doesn't matter really who the heir is, but this would be a good match. If for no other reason than politics. Uh, so that's that's something that, that I think is very good. I still don't like Otto. I feel like that every time that he fails at one avenue, he just tries up an avenue, another avenue instead of saying, maybe I need to reconsider uh, this position, regardless of what my brother says, who is the Lord uh, of, of, you know, he's the, the high tower Lord or, or whatever, uh, the Lord of high. What is that Southern realm? Is old that town. High, old town? Yeah. Uh, what's the realm though? Uh, is it? Not the reach. The reach is uh, north the of reach that. Is, Kelly. Is Kelly, Susan, where are you on? Where is old town you? at, Kelly? It is in the reach. Yeah. Oh, the reach. Okay. I so, thought the reach was above that. Thank you. Okay. So that is the reach. Uh, okay. I, don't, I don't know how you're getting confused. I mean, the way George writes, I mean, it's very clear and obvious the whole way through. And it's not like the story spans thousands of years, man. I, I don't understand your confusion. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, 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 George is looking at me right now and just saying, do better, Matt. Do better. <laughs> yeah. I, I was just more. Um, leaning towards the idea that the uh with the jason lannister or not jason lannister but the, the lannister boys that came in um thailand and jason yeah was the other guy yeah mm-hmm. i guess it was specifically jason in the pavilion he was um the way he approached viserys and was talking about taking rhaenyra and her marrying him being a loss of station for her um that actually made me think that what the um hightower family was plotting about was actually realistic and that most of the realm doesn't 
think that Rhaenyra would be a good heir or would be a good leader. So they are kind of wavering on their loyalties. So his reaction made me think that what the Otto's or Otto's family is doing, uh, the Hightowers are doing, is actually reading the room and trying to um, whether or not it's in their favor or not to, you know, whether, you know, it's just coincidental that their family will be um, lifted up by this decision. But I think that they are working both of that side um, more so than just being like the old town maester, anti-Targaryen, anti-dragon theory. I think it is more like just political party deciding as a block what they want. <laughs> just trying to keep peace in the realm, baby. That's all right. Otto's doing. Just trying to keep peace in the realm. He hears the whispers. Uh, I loved how Viserys brought up to that Lannister fellow. He's like, it is your duty to report re seeds of rebellion uh, from your bannermen. Uh, granted, he was drunk and his words, as we know, them being Viserys' words were pretty toothless, probably. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, uh, I love that it was brought up. And so is Otto technically committing treason? No, because all of this is out in the open, right? Yeah, ideas are just ideas, man. Right, oh, actions no. are what what are rebellion. I oh. think what Kelly said about reading the room—I mean, that just echoes what Rainey's told Rhaenyra's last episode. It's exactly what she was told. Yeah. And if the high towers are going to wet their beak, man, they're just going to wet their beak, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, let's spin the wheel again. Oh, John, I can't see that. Where did it land? I can't tell. Well, if I'm pressed to really break out the, the monocle that I have right beneath my brow, I'm thinking that is, uh, does Miguel Spochnik quit being a showrunner? Right. Now, Stephanie added this to the Wheel of Topics earlier, so she's not here to comment about it anymore. But uh, the news went out, I don't know, two weeks ago, maybe. And I didn't really think it was that much to worry about. Uh, evidently, some people do, because otherwise Stephanie wouldn't have put it on the Wheel of Topics. I look at it like this. That guy is a wonderful director. When you're becoming a showrunner, you got to start doing schedules and all of this other stuff. you got to answer to everybody and everything. I think he just wants to go back to directing. They parted on good terms. Ever, evidently, everybody parted on good terms. He's going to return and direct episodes so I think really this is a plus for the show as a whole. Uh, I don't know how the publicity looks for it, but I say any publicity is good publicity. It doesn't matter whether it's good or bad. As Dave and Dan prove time and 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 time again. So I think that we should just embrace it as just something that happened and something that might actually end up in the long run making the show better but i don't know how you guys feel about it uh john since you found it on the the wheel of topics what do you think about miguel leaving i absolutely love this because what this does for this show is it unshackles it from one uh, a particular voice where i think what we ended up with what people probably argue is somewhere like the worst ending of a series this helps make it a little less single-minded like i'm hoping ryan condal stays because i think some of the things that he's done have been really really good so i like having his voice there but freeing up miguel to kind of go do what he wants to do to make sure he has like kind of creative liberty to kind of step away from this show 
not feel so shackled by the schedule because this is a lot. I mean, I, and again, I, I, I'm deep within it in terms of a fan. I, I hear a lot of like people like really intimate like what this show schedule is. Basically, these people work 50 weeks out of the year. And for anybody that doesn't know how many weeks are in a year, there's 52. Like they get two weeks off a year. That is it. I've worked that schedule myself for many, many years and I got extremely burned out. So working at like 15 to 18 hour days on that kind of pace. Right there. That many, that many hours, that many days. That's the factor. Yeah. And you, they'd be like, oh, you get weekends off. Yeah. But at working at that kind of pace, like you were like beyond burned out. And I think the reason why Benioff and Weiss did what they did and wanted to get it over with, didn't want to sign it for more years because they could have taken Game of Thrones, I think probably another five years. And George wanted them too. Right. Because there was that much story. And for anyone that's just stuck with the show and hasn't read the book, guys, there's so much story you don't get on the show. And just listen to this podcast. Kelly will tell you all about that story you didn't read. And I will be right there cheering her on. So I, I love this decision of, of like moving showrunners in and out. And even if Ryan Condal wants to step aside, as long as I think they have this kind of bridge where you keep one showrunner season to season, as long as we keep this consistency, I think it, it, it's, it's good and it's good for the show and it's good for the fans because then it keeps consistency. The way I understand it is Ryan is George's boy. I think that uh, George really likes Ryan, and I think that Ryan really likes his source material. I remember it being uh, somewhat akin to, uh, or the way I feel like Ryan feels about this the source material, uh, regardless of how he decides to interpret it, because there's a lot to interpret in there. But I think that he has the same love for the material that Brian Cogman had when he was working for Dave and Dan. It's just that Dave and Dan. Uh, gave Brian the order to write these particular sequences or whatever. And Brian sure. and Brian Cogman was just made to try and make the best of the mess that Dave and Dan made for him in some, some certain circumstances. And uh, one that made me actually leave the show for a while at any rate, oh. <laughs> I promised I'd never drop that again. I've dropped it about four <laughs> times this season already. Anyway, uh, Susan, your thoughts, if, any about uh, Miguel Shapoznik leaving? Yeah, I think that people just want to uh, gossip about things when something like that happens because of some of the issues with the the previous show. They're you know gonna bring up fearful ideas about it. But from what I understand, and, and I didn't know that he was going to come back and direct episodes. I'm glad to hear that. But from what I did understand, he was kind of dragged into this series they had to really convince him to come back and work on it in the first place because he'd been kind of burned out by those big uh battle scenes that he had directed previously wait a minute so. Susan, wait a minute this is the guy who in one of those intro to the episodes or behind the scenes episodes says i just have really loved being behind the scenes of thrones i'm so glad that i'm back i don't jive with that well i mean that that's what i've read in in some articles was that they had to really convince him to come back um and i think i'm glad he came and i think that it was important in helping to set up uh this series you know set to kind of set the uh the mood and the environment of what's going on but um the idea of him not staying on to something that he 
felt kind of burned out by in the beginning uh, and just coming back to work on specific uh, episodes in the future. I think that's great. Yeah. Well, okay. I, I mean, all I'm saying is that there's clearly a difference in promote for the show, Miguel, and uh-huh. maybe what actually happened. Uh, yeah. That's, that's all I'm saying. Kelly, final word on this. Well, I would say that you would have to drag my butt to go back to Burning Man. But once I'm there, I would love every minute of it. So I think there can be both can be true. Like, it's possible to say, you know, like you love being there, but you really, really know that that's not what's best for your your life decisions. (laughs) Good analogy. No, yeah, I know, right? So I, I, I just I like that the episode. Uh, think of it as the show series so far is the rocket ship, and he was the thrusters, and it is going well, and he was able to depart, uh, and let the uh, rocket continue on its way. He just got it off the ground, and I think that that's uh, a great way for him to leave on. And I, I have confidence in the, uh, the lineage of of leadership that they are leaving. So I like I, that. Yeah, and that's a good I both, analogy. I, yeah, I also believe that Alan Taylor is going to be coming back and, and helping out quite a bit. I'm not sure if it's a role as a showrunner, uh, but uh, he did some extraordinary episodes for Game of Thrones as well. So uh, between him and if Yatanis sticks around, because I really like the way Yatanis directs too. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm thinking specifically of in episode two, that shot. Uh, and while I know, Kelly, you had some problems with the actual visuals of it. I really appreciated the use of light and the way that that scene between Rhaenyra and Allison created an intimacy between the two of them when they weren't even really anywhere close to each other. Um, I think that that was just beautifully shot by Greg Yatanis. Um, what what was put in the background of it? Maybe not. I don't know. Go ahead. Didn't Susan. Alan Taylor direct uh, Blackwater? No, that was uh, the same guy that did. Uh, the battle of uh, on the wall in the end of the fourth episode. Ah, okay. uh, Alan Taylor has done some other episodes, uh, not many battle episodes, but it looks to me. I mean, I know you guys have problems with the battles this season, or at least Stephanie did, and and a couple of you guys did for, with this particular episode. But I thought Yatanis did a good job. Whether he had help from Miguel or not, uh, maybe, maybe not. It doesn't really matter. Uh, it it's uh, I think it's the show still in good hands. Any final words on this subject, or shall we move on to the next wheel spin? We're spinning the wheel. Kelly, I can't see that. Can you tell me what it landed on? Oh, this one landed on the white heart. Ooh, dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. The whole idea of the symbolism of this white heart how did you guys interpret it? Kelly, I'm going to go to you first, but I'm going to lay out what, how I interpreted it. You have Viserys, who pulls a Theon trying to kill a false white stag. And then you have the actual white heart appearing to Rhaenyra and her choosing not to kill it. So do you place more emphasis in the fact that she chose not to kill it or the fact that it showed up to her at all, which is more important here. Cause I think that either could be interpreted to be important, but I don't know which one to make the most important out of that. I think that when you start with the uh, arrangement of the, which stag appeared to whom, 
And yeah, the the false stag being and Viserys being led to the false stag by all of the men and all of this pressure being upon him to uh, do away with this false stag and and to but to like coronate it as if it were this great feat that they all were uh, continuing to pretend like this was a great thing, um, even though it was a good thing. It wasn't a great thing. Um, fun fact for everybody: a thirty-five stone stag is something like. 490 pounds um and because i am overachiever i did the like biggest sag ever known on earth was like 511 pounds but that was like back in the, the 20s and they couldn't really verify that so like since then it was like a 411 pound stag and then you're down to like 300 so like a 490 pound stag is huge mythical you might say so maybe matt this is the uh <laughs> the attempt at a a mythical creature that they were trying to show in real size and they couldn't do in a reality for you there but <laughs> <laughs> well it was the size of the horse it almost seemed like i mean when you looked at it in in the in a certain far shot or at least in comparison to the trees that it was by and compared to uh the way that they looked on the landscape against other trees but so the, man the, yeah it was a, it was a good uh i thought it was a good like c- contrasting and comparison between which stag appeared to whom and i thought that was what i was focusing on rather than how they reacted to it um but what do you guys think well no that's a good point so what did you interpret from that does this mean that rhaenyra uh should morally by divination from the white heart be the queen regardless or is a realm that is steeped in tradition that's already had a great council that will not allow a woman to sit the throne? Is it an inevitability that even if she is the main choice of the white heart, it doesn't matter? What do you think? I think in that moment, she is the heir, and that's who the white stag appeared to, and that is all that mattered, I think. There you go. It's as cold and cut. For somebody who likes to bring in 50,000 spreadsheets, she just did it in one simple sentence. Susan, do you agree or disagree, and why? Um, Yeah, what what I'd like to bring up is uh, thinking back to Sansa in Game of Thrones and her talking about Joffrey and the White Heart. In her story, she was she was talking about, or at least in we got her her thinking about the fact that in the the myths and stories that the noble knights didn't kill the white heart; they just went up and touched it, and uh, they left it alone. They didn't do any you know harm to it. Uh, in her dream, she was allowing Joffrey to kill it because she knew that he liked to kill things. So, if you want to uh, extrapolate from that and and think about it in terms of uh, Rhaenyra, I thought it was a very positive sign that she didn't want to harm the white um, heart. Susan, drop a knowledge that I couldn't remember, that I don't know anybody could remember. Susan knows more than you do. Susan knows more than you do. John, you know more than me, too. What did you think? Doubtful. I'll leave that title to Susan because um, I don't even remember that at all. But I will. I love the connection. Um, I I kind of fall along the lines of Kelly for a very just that boring but simple reasons. Is, is like yeah. I mean, it just it appears to. And again, it's one of those things where is it convenient? Is this just where, like, I don't say the gods are playing with the the mere mortals here and just saying, hey, well. 
this isn't what you should have done, but we're just going to kind of give you own confirmation bias with our like signs and mythical beasts. Because I, but other than that, I do agree. It's just like Rainier is the rightful heir. She sees the White Heart as probably us, the viewing audience, wants to see. And I think everybody, if you didn't learn from the last Game of Thrones season, just because we see it and you want to see something doesn't mean that's the way it's going to end up. Just saying. And just don't get your hopes up. Be open-minded. Just interpret it how it comes. However, I did like it. It made me feel comfortable. It made me feel like, okay, this is the right thing. But the other person that it made feel comfortable is also Viserys. He felt more assured in his decision with the air choice when he saw that the uh, the brown heart was there. It was gigantic. It was there for him to take down. But it, it's, it's so funny. I kept thinking back to, as we keep drawing comparisons to Game of Thrones, I kept thinking of Robert's hunt the whole time that this was going on because mm-hmm. we already had a boar got killed by Rhaenyra. And then we had uh, the spear um, that Viserys used. It's in a granted, I know it's not that like, but I just kept, it just kept kind of like ringing true for back to the original um, yeah. story that we all are familiar with. But I did like the complicated um, character that Viserys is on screen because it's like you can see the relief and also disappointment. Because All I saw gets, was him he, being hung over, but that's just me. <laughs> well, how I read it is he was disappointed in terms of like he had this vision, he had this dream that his son was going to wear the iron crown of Aegon the Conqueror. And then he had named his daughter the heir out of like fear of never having that son. Like, like, did, and it's kind of weird because it's like, did you kind of just never give yourself the idea that you were going to marry again? We understand he's bereft. We know he was in love with Ama. We get it. But it's like, it's one of those things. It's like, you just like rushed into like, I got to hurry up and shore up my air, my, uh, my line with uh, Rainier. I will. I, I liked it, but the complicated nature, you can see all of that going through his head in his face as he's stabbing this poor CGI deer. Another comparison, a lot of podcasts, including myself and my initial podcast made to that scene was of course, uh, Theon's very sloppy kill of sir roderick uh in winterfell and you know uh can't get that can't get they're holding that 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 poor cgi stack they're holding him so it's just it's struggling it's not able to move around at all except its head a little bit and you got a guy who's still drunk from the night before uh stabbing him in the arm just above there in the shoulder uh, before and just causing a lot of pain before finally getting the the blow kill, uh, yeah, that's just screamed Theon to me. I'm just like, okay, so that that confirms he is inept at everything. Uh, so you know uh, that we we no longer have to debate that, uh, regardless of what his intentions are, regardless of what his uh, motivations are. Uh, it doesn't matter. He just he can't follow through. The dude cannot follow through whatsoever as far as comparisons go i did read that like george didn't really like the scene um for robert's hunt uh very well because he thought that it looked way more like an actual like party going out and hunting and and he thought a king's 
hunt would be much more grand, much more um, like a pavilion and, and mm. uh, attended with all of these lords because it would be this opportunity to be, you know, rub elbows and whatever. And uh, this scene, I think, is where or this whole episode about this uh, this hunt being this camp and then the pavilions and all of the drinking and the partying, like it looked like a tailgate to me, right? Like you had the actual hunters and scouts doing the real work. And then like I... I did watch it twice, but I didn't remember to watch the second time if he had like stairs to help him get off of his horse when he did arrive at the uh, at the stag. But I mean, just everything being like handed to him and it is kill that he still had to do himself. And it's, you know, it was the only thing he had to do. <laughs> they were holding the stag. They pointed where you have to kill him. And it still took him two tries because he's just so unsure of himself. Uh, yeah, that was, um, but the whole, the whole thing in, in, in its entirety, I liked the, uh, the vibe of it too, because it felt much more realistic than when Robert went out to his aunt. <laughs> I just wanted to add that made me think about the fact that um, when you're talking about the grandeur of the king's hunt and that part of it would be for these noble people to come together and to uh, do their um, politicizing that that seemed like a, a it, it was odd of Viserys to be angry at them for wanting to, you know, get his ear and promote their ideas for him to consider because where else are they going to do that? I mean, this was a natural place for them to do that. So the fact that he was getting angry about them kind of, you know, again, it plays to him not being the best of Kings, but um, you know, that just uh, it seemed like it was contrary to, to what should have been happening in that kind of a scenario. Excellent point. I just had one last thing, Matt. And this is more of a question or a point to the audience. And Kelly, you can bring up your spreadsheets if you need to. Is there anything to, and I'm sure there is, is there anything we can pull into this kind of, kind of themes, like foreshadowing with the Lannisters gave Viserys the spear? Is there anything we can kind of pull or think about? Does that mean anything? Susan might have some thoughts on that too. What do you think, Kelly? Uh, I mean, is maybe just even a an Easter egg for for show watchers that the Lannisters used this. It was a Lannister spear that killed the stag, uh, like the Lannisters and the Baratheons um, in Game of Thrones times. It's the only thing I can think of. An Easter egg, so to speak. Susan, anything come to mind for you? I don't have anything more than that to add. That's that's a good point, but yeah, nothing else. Excellent question, John. Thank you. Uh, glad we could clarify that uh, for you with great detail uh, and explanation. Let's spin the wheel. Where did it land? Where did it land? Susan, tell me, where did it land? Crab feeder who? Crab feeder who? It's more like uh, Jahar. Or was it, wasn't that his name? Prince Jahar? Isn't that what the, the guy that got Drahar. squashed called him? Jahar? Yeah, right. Jahar? Dahar? Jahar or something who? like that. I know, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Who? <laughs> Jahar who? No, the crab feeder, the stone man, the half stone man. Uh, I've got lots to say about that in the brothel mates, but uh, I'll save those thoughts for now. I think the bigger thing that we want to ask here, and I'm not sure... Who put this topic on the wheel, but whoever did, please jump up as soon as I uh, finish here. But I I think the big question, at least as it seems on the wheel here, is um, that 
all that buildup for that, womp, 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 which is very hard to write on the wheel, by the way. That, that's excellent notation done on the wheel, whoever wrote that on. But who brought that subject up and why? It was me. Excellent. It, why? It was me because we had a Darth Vader of a character and you literally showed his death off screen. Mm-hmm. Like da- Damon throws up the flag. He's like, oh, here's my sword, bro. Here, take it. Oh, wait, no, I'm going to cut your dudes in half. And then I'm going to go find you in a cave. And I'm going to just cleave you in half like a charcuterie board. <laughs> it, was, it was ridiculous. Like, I mean, such a cool character design. And I was like, when I first saw him, like, oh, that dude is that, like, that is an ugly looking, like, mean looking guy. And he's like hammering and nailing dudes' hands to the stake. And then you're like watching them, the crabs actually like chew on these guys. And if anyone's ever seen a crab and what it does, crabs don't really do that. They're, not, they're just like kind of crawl around and do absolutely nothing. Like, <laughs> it's like, but they made this guy so awesome. And then he just dies off screen. Why? That's stupid. Okay, I can I can see that. Um, I can also see uh, that uh, you could look at it from a viewpoint of did they actually build him up enough? There were just a few very economical scenes showing him being menacing and mostly using crabs um, that if we'd have seen a scene, one scene with his motivation or anything, maybe him dying off screen wouldn't have mattered as much. Maybe it would have mattered more. Uh, to me, I loved the fact that it seemed to me like a way of the showrunners telling us, you know, you don't have to see a death on screen to know that someone's dead because I've heard people use that time and time again for Westworld for whatever saying, Oh, he didn't die on screen. He's probably not dead. And sometimes they're right. And sometimes they're wrong. But uh, I just love that it, to me, it was kind of a joke. Uh, or at least that's the way that I read it on a second watch. I didn't read it that way on the first watch. The first watch I read it, I was like, wow, he cut that guy in half. And I didn't think anything else about it. (laughs) Uh, But I think your points are valid, John. I do. I think your points are totally valid. Kelly, what did you think? Uh, I agree with John. I I also don't understand why they gave him grayscale if it never played into the show at all, unless there's supposed to be this suspense right now that we didn't see how close Damon and the this guy fought in the cave in the dark. Maybe Damon has grayscale now. Like they could have even like played into that and shown him having contact with the grayscale and saying, look, Targaryens are immune because they're awesome and they're our heroes. So of course, like look at how one more tick in the Damon is awesome bar. Like it just they could have done something with either of these things. And I, I just feel like, yeah, going I could have taken a few less shots of, of Damon out there fighting and grabbing a guy from behind and sl- sliding his sl- slicing his throat i feel like he did that like six times and then you know like take out half of those show him actually fight the crab feeder because we don't even know if this guy was a good fighter maybe it was a really boring fight maybe it went really fast i don't know we would have liked to have seen it (laughs) well i love how that kind of builds some intrigue as well it's like why would all of these people follow this guy is it because he was a prince and not because he was a great warrior that they feared and respected uh, which would make it even easier for us to just say, yeah, Damon went in after him, cut him in half, brought him back out. Uh, but either way, uh, I mean, I, I totally understand these viewpoints. Susan, you get the uh, you get the final word on this. I didn't have any problem with it. In fact, I kind of uh, 
like the idea that the death wasn't on screen. I'm not sure. Maybe it wouldn't have been as, uh, you know, they, they, it would have been underwhelming if they'd shown something on screen. The whole thing with the crab feeder is a little bit underwhelming, but I also think about it in context of the book that this is really just a setup for Damon to have uh, won that uh, glory and to prove himself in battle. That's really what this was all about, mm. that and having uh, Corliss uh, have a situation that he needed to get cleaned out and to partner with Damon on. So I was fine with the way it all played out. I do wonder, I really wonder, and I brought this up when we were talking about it last week, Matt, with that use of both the grayscale and the idea that they were using a broken harpies mask uh, is what they specifically said. And I thought that was an odd detail as well. The, the lack of information is something that we will probably never get now, obviously, mm -hmm. because we have a uh, we have half a rock sitting on the beach. <laughs> right. uh, nonetheless, uh, let's spin the wheel again. Uh, wait a minute. I can see where it landed. It landed on auto. We'll try anything uh, again. So we need to spin it one more time. Of course. Yeah. Now that that lettering is way too small. I can't read that. Kelly, can you tell me what it says? Understandable, Matt. Yes. Uh, as I zoom in, uh, Valerian cold intros, specifically Lenore and Vayman. All right. Well, well, let's talk about it, Kelly. I'll let you lead off on this. Uh, do you have any thoughts about uh, the introduction of other uh, Valerians in in this particular episode? I was excited. So we got our first age up, right? This is uh, the uh, Lenore uh, has the uh, has switched over. I like that they're staggering the actors uh, change up and this will help, I think, ease everyone into it. Uh, it's probably going to be jarring enough as it is to lose Raina, uh, Rhaenyra. So um, this was a good this was a good way to do it, especially introducing him and his dragon together. I, I thought it went well. Um, they had all of them at the table so you could see them all together. I was thrown off because they had changed their hairstyles and I'm, you know, not used to new characters. So I was looking for the old uh, Coralist hairstyle. And so I was trying to figure out which guy was which. Um, but once I got it figured out, I'm like, OK, I recognize everybody here. And uh, now I'm because then they had um, the other Valerians in the, in the area too, uh, like at least the support. Valerian troop was in support there. Now. Okay. And I think this is well, the Kelly. Mm -hmm. You just you've just started the topic here that we can't we cannot ignore. We cannot ignore this topic because I'm going to need you to come up with your top five white blonde hairs in the series so far. Your top five white blonde hairs. You're going to count them down from five to one. I'm going to stall here. I'm going to go to Susan and give her thoughts on the introduction of the other Valerians. While you think about this, you come up with your top five white just House of the Dragon hairs. Had just House of the Dragon. You can't use anything else. Uh, if you can even come up with five, I'm happy for you. Uh, I think you probably can. But here we go. Uh, let's go to you, Susan, uh, regarding the introduction of the Valerians. Um, I don't know that I really have anything to say about it other than the fact that... Uh... I did enjoy Laner as the new dragon rider and his enthusiasm while he was riding Sea Smoke. Um, I liked that he was challenging his uncle uh, at the War Council, but that's about all I have to say about that. Uh, I guess I could turn it to John. Uh, John, what did you think of the cold opening 
of the cold opening of the new Valorians. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you can blame me for throwing this up on the wheel. And that question was not who came up with this idea of this, this topic. It was more of like whose idea was to do a cold open like this hard, because the the idea of doing a cold open on a character on such a dynamic scene to me is a is a big sin. Like you like you cannot have these. You can't have one of the major characters that's been in episode one and two in like pivotal scenes uh, with Corliss talking to his brother in the middle of a battle planning stage, like like calling his brother out and like getting face to face within like breathing distance and being like, no, we got to do it this way. You, you got to at least to me, this is me. This is my preference. You, you need to have like at least some sort of establishment like like. Um, Lord Corliss's brother Vayman's coming back from the you have to establish who this person is why do they matter we can tell that they physically appear like similar we know that they're we can assume they're related but like why is this person saying this why do they mean what they mean we can kind of intuit some things but you, to me it's a storytelling problem however in retrospect I, I think it's fine uh, but Lainor, to me, and I kind of alluded to earlier when we were talking about the Barry, him and his dragon, and I'm not even going to talk about how dumb the name Sea Smoke is because that is a dumb name. It is dumb. Sorry, Kelly. No, Sea Smoke is a dumb name. When you have a name like Cyrax, Cyraxes, like those names are awesome. They're metal. We need a good like name that means more than like, uh, we're a, a seafaring um, family. We're part Targaryen and dragons shoot fire, so they have smoke. We'll just put sea smoke together. Stupid. So you'd like, rather it be called ACDC? N- no. Oh, like, you, like, not that kind of metal. Sorry. No. Uh, yes. It, you, you need to have some sort of mythical metal. Cre- like, like, bring something to it, man, other than just put, being like a five-year-old naming the toy. <laughs> I'm just going to say that <laughs> as far as introducing those characters, I thought that the uh, use of Corley's calling him, uh, calling Vaymond brother uh with some of that slick example of the work that they did like they did earlier in the episode when they said that Aegon had been born was celebrating his second name day that two and a half years have passed it's been three years like i don't know like 17 18 times they could have taken one extra one of those and just dropped it right at the beginning of that scene right there then everything's fixed Sure. I mean, they could have even had people reporting to Viserys saying Lord Corliss and his brother Vayman are, are working with Damon. Like, introduce the character in a natural way where, it, where it's not like, oh, it's so-and-so talking to, oh, wait, it's his brother. Like, it's just, again, this is nitpicky beyond nitpicky. This episode was a pretty solid episode. So, but I mean, that if we didn't pick our nits, what would we talk about? CGI deers. Kelly, your Dude, top right? five white blonde hairstyles in house of the dragon so far number five kelly number five is viserys i think his hair is matching uh his namesake in game of thrones pretty well and i like that he's uh he's got the male version mm. of the the hairstyles going uh pretty closely so viserys has been rocking the good the good male version of the targaryen blonde nice mm. kelly mm. you're number four uh, so the only dreads that made my list, but this was Coralist. 
I thought his dreads were awesome, mm-hmm. and uh, especially in the early in the first uh, two episodes, that his they're looking a little rough. He's been at war. Uh, they're looking a little rough now, which is why his brothers were much prettier, which is what got me confused at the at the beginning because his brothers out there not doing anything. He's just out there like, you know, as uh, <laughs> um, Lenora said, he's just out there complaining. <laughs> He's a professional complainer, but who is your number three? If you blink, you might have missed it, but um, Lena. The little girl had the prettiest little blonde curls. I loved her white, white hair. Um, I thought she looked really cool. I just keep thinking that I'm looking at the revolution. I keep mm-hmm. seeing George Washington and all of them. Number two. Queen who never was. Sorry, girl. You're number two again. but she's had some really cool hairstyles to the point where even sammy pointed it out she he was like that she's just got she's got like a tennis ball in there she's got something going on she's got a very unique hairstyle it's that kind of a hybrid between targaryen and valerian uh styling that Mm -hmm. i really like it's very unique very unique to her so that brings us to the most important one the number one of the top five white blonde hairstyles in house of the dragon so far is your girl renee renera she has had on point on point straight hair and just like the perfect braids and everything about her hair has been glorious i think every scene that they've shown her and they've highlighted it and it's it's beautiful but i love that it's also it seems retrograde from what danny had later in later years and any hairstyle we saw later it's much simpler so i think that it also shows that the showrunners or the hairstylists at least are taking into account the time frame Excellent, excellent points. Uh, I love your list. Susan, what was wrong with it? Well, I just wanted to say, does anybody know who has the most expensive wig on set? Ooh, trivia time. Susan knows more than you do. Who? (laughs) Viserys. Susan knows more than you do. I've listened to a couple of interviews where he and Matt Damon were discussing this. He had the most expensive wig of the wigs. Uh, it has something to do with, with them matching it to their skin tone and so forth. But apparently his oh. wig was very uh, similar in the type of wig it was or whatever the material was that made it as Daenerys's was. And so he kept bragging, hmm. yep, I had the most expensive wig. <laughs> I love that. that <laughs> I'm so perfect. proud. Made the list, too, which is excellent. <laughs> At least it made the list. Yeah. Gee, Susan, I can't see that. What does it say? Sidecar characters. Who's your favorite brief screen time fresh faces? Wow. Okay. Well, this could be a lot of people. Why don't we start with you? Who was your favorite uh, quick shot of somebody? Um, I'd say probably uh, Jason Lannister. I mean, he was a jerk. But it was fun to see a Lannister and of the two twins, and I know it's the same actor playing both of them, but of the two twins, he was the one that was uh, the most interesting of the two. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I, I'm trying to figure out the way I understand it is now Thailand is on the council. Is that what's going on here? But, Correct. But Jason, is he actually the Lord of Casterly Rock? 
That's what I understand. Because they were twins, they had to give it to the oldest twin, you know, whichever twin was born first. So then the second one um, got to the position on the council. And I think he might be taking, I'm not 100% sure about this, but I think he's taking Corliss's place since he left. Yes. So I think he's the master of ships at this point in time. Excellent. All right. Uh, John, any thoughts about that? Oh, I, Susan stole mine, but since she didn't steal is probably a harsh word. It's not steal. She just shared agreed yours. with me. She, yeah, she shared my original thought. But the other character I also liked was, and I'm really, really bad with names, and I don't remember it being said on screen, but the clubfoot lord that said, Larry Strong. Not, Larry Thank Strong, you. broke break bones, break bone. No, not break bones. Not that's break that's, bones. that's that's the the guy that's strong. But Larry's was the was the one who approached the little princesses or all the all the ladies, uh, yeah. and uh, yeah, and the uh, and the queen and and asked if he could sit there and had a cookie while everybody else argued. I loved it. I loved it too. And and again, guys, if you're not going to read the books, just know keep your eye on the people that just show up and you're like, why is this guy here? They mean stuff. So just pay attention, take the note, and move on. And I'm guessing Kelly's got like two or three names to throw out here. At sure least. that she does. Uh, the, the, there were many Strongs, actually, in, in this episode. Um, there was, I guess, Lionel, who was on the council. Mm-hmm. Breakbones was there. He was, was he? The, I, did he I was the dark-haired him? fellow with the kind of beardish stuff, right? Oh, uh, that was looking kind of rough around everybody else um i think that was i think that was break bones i think that was him yeah so i had to look up the sigil and then i went back in the episode and like three seconds earlier lionel's got it on his glove so i was like oh they're the strongs <laughs> yeah yeah wow i i i see you Rhaenyra. i see what you see yeah he's he's checking <laughs> he's checking her out uh he, he's liking that boar bring back is that a triple b well, and she's covered podcast. in blood. She's covered in blood too. So that's a bloody babe right there. There's He's four into it. That's, <laughs> that's a new record for, for Joffrey of podcasts there, our friends over there at uh, Double P Media. Excellent. That was an excellent choice. Uh, I've already said, I think uh, the, that my, I share John's. It's just, I thought that uh, meeting Larry Strong was endearing. And uh, I just keep wondering if appearances can be deceiving. All right, Kelly, you get the last word on this subject before we move on to other things. There was a pug. (laughs) (laughs) There were lots of dogs in this episode. There were lots of dogs, but there was a pug. I had to look it up. And yes, pugs were invented in the 1500s, I think, the 16th century. So this is not too far off. But not in Westeros. Exactly. It was so jarring. (laughs) It was so weird. It It was very strange. But um, but yeah, and he was on the lap of uh, Lady Redwine. And the other woman there, I think, was Lady Lannister. And their whole interaction was hilarious. I love their their sass. And I think Lady Olenna is um, the Queen of Thorns, is a descendant of the Red Wines. So I like picturing them being. Um, that would make wine. perfect sense with the way that character was talking about everything that was going on in the realm and about the Stepstones and blaming everybody for not being able to do anything. Uh, the one that Rhaenyra kind of uh, was really a jerk to, but I think well deserved but i i i I love that i didn't i didn't put together the red wine and olena thing that's great kelly really appreciate that but obviously we are pro pug around here we are obviously pro pug around here 
give for that wonderful phrase to hear those three little words. Three words. This is where you try to describe the episode in three words. Don't use seven all strung together with hashes. Don't use a hashtag with all of the words strung together as one hashtag. Don't use uh, uh, a contraction. Oh, don't use a contraction. That's a new rule. Actually, you can use a contraction. I don't care. Uh, that's it. That's the one thing that I'll let you do. But I want you to use three words to describe the episode or just part of the episode as I happen to do sometimes. I just take the, the part that I like most or the part that I dislike most or whatever, and I describe that part in three words. Everybody can do it in their own particular way. And as we record and the hour gets late, I'm going to go to Susan first. We need to get her out of here because it's like getting really late where she is. Susan, what are your three words for this episode? Season one, episode three of House of the Dragon, second of his name. Yeah, I'm glad you're going to let me use a contraction since I get one. Uh, okay, and here it is, the, the part of the show that I was complaining about, but Damon's a badass. And uh, John, how about yours? Dragons, fours, and nine. Wait a minute. How many words is that? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, oh, oh I, said, I said and. Dragons, boars, knives. There you go. Okay. Dragons, boars, knives. There we go. Uh, mine is name that dragon in tribute nice. to uh, sea smoke appearing. Uh, I didn't want to reveal it too much. I, I did say who it was in the initial reaction, but I... Uh, I think we've got it pretty much all but confirmed that that is, in fact, Sea Smoke being ridden by Lenor and perhaps one other mystery dragon that, that uh, Kelly saw that none of the rest of us did. Uh, here on Twitter, we got one from our friend Samantha739. On Twitter, Samantha says, Damon is hot. Not Damon. Damon's a badass. But uh, then she adds, sorry, can't help myself. And then we have a YouTube from Nightwolf Nim. That's our friend Nicole. You can find her, I think, under the same handle on you on Twitter as well. Uh, I think she actually has a couple accounts, but nonetheless, uh, Rule of Cool, and she's going to explain that in her feedback. And I kind of agree with her in a little bit, but it was just so Rule of Cool that I just didn't care. Uh, sorry, Nicole, but I just didn't. Brothelmates of the week is next. of the week this is where you try to describe the best coupling you pick two things two people a person and a thing a person and a concept whatever kind of combination you want it's been explained so many times you're probably so sick of the explanation that you don't even want to try to come up with the brothel mates uh but it's the best coupling brothel mates of the week 
let's start with you this time, John. What is your brothel mates for this week? What was your favorite pairing? That, that is that is a really tough one this week for me. Um, but uh, you know what? I gotta go with uh, Laris and Lady Redwine. Laris and Ray, Lady Redwine. Uh, just because they both got caught eating food when they were discussing uh, important subjects? Um, they were probably having the most important conversation. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> Love it. Okay, Kelly, what's yours? Uh, from that exact same scene, my favorite pairing of this episode was the pug and that cake. He yeah, girl. It, it was so cute. My man. He was, he was living his best life the way Rhaenyra wanted to live her best life, which was flying around eating cake. So he's living his best Rainier life. <laughs> Absolutely. Susan, your brothel mates for this week. Okay. I'm going to say stags and boars. Stags and boars. Uh, let me guess. This pairing is because they were both CGI terribly. <laughs> Even though the boars were okay. <laughs> no, it's because they were the focus of the royal hunt. Because they were the focus of the royal hunt. I can think of a few animators that I'd like to royally hunt right now. Uh, Stephanie. What's that? It's an hashtag that. symbolism. Hashtag symbolism. Uh, uh, Stephanie uh, said to us uh, that it was the new dragon, which we know we'll call Sea Smoke, and the guy that was stomped on. Uh, so I guess the fact that we got a new dragon, but I think that was actually Caraxus that stomped on, uh, the guy that was calling out for help, right? Yes. Save me, my prince. <laughs> that was a cool scene, but yes, Matt, you're correct. Okay. Uh, it was, it, it was, I, I laughed out loud. I could not help myself. I just la totally laughed. My best coupling for this time around is Damon and Grayscale Experimentation. Uh, he had to find out, will the sword cut through a body that has that, that's part stone or do I have to cut around the stone in order to get that? And it came out with a pretty ugly looking torso as a result of uh, getting around all of the grayscale or as best I can tell. The only thing that I think of is that, that if he wasn't cutting the grayscale away or if he was cutting the places where the grayscale wasn't, that meant that he was holding the grayscale. Now, I think he was wearing gloves, so it shouldn't really matter all that much. Uh, but you know, uh, don't go, don't go touching anybody else's face with those gloves on until you wash them completely with that grayscale on your, on your gloves. You got to do some experimentation. It's early on in the discovery of grayscale for Westeros, perhaps. And so therefore we need to, uh, we need to do some experimentation. Uh, Nightwolf Nim, once again on YouTube, you can leave comments on YouTube. You can, you just search for the word before the the dragon podcast on youtube and find us and subscribe and hit those like buttons and do comments and do all of that good stuff but nightwolf nim on youtube uh made her brothel mates lanor and sea smoke hey uh pretty good i'm always hyped for new dragons she adds so that is wonderful and finally uh because kelly can never get a good brothel mates in uh, as she did this time around without Bubba from the Joffrey podcast trying to upstage her uh, because that's what Bubba does uh, this time around it pretty pretty Bubba like uh, the crab feeder and grayscale um, yes a match made in hell absolutely uh, so there you go time to play the game that everybody hates do it love can 
decided now that we will be drawing two 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 characters each week in order to increase the odds of getting punished because at this rate nobody else is going to get punished and i do not want susan to be alone i don't want to be alone let's start with you john uh because you seem like the person that we need to put on the cleavers block two times let's do it all right your first number is five number five what do we got here for week four is Allison Hightower. It. I'm in. You're taking that one. No, I should. The, the odds say I shouldn't, but I'm going to anyways. Okay, let's. She's a, she's a speaking character. The odds are high. I'm 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 gambling. John wants to be punished. Well, you get another chance because we're going to draw another number. Remember, the first time around for each of these, you can reject if you wish. Your second number is 24. Number 24. Oh, I'm sure that's like is Dragon Maester, Keeper 5. Maester Kelvin 4. <laughs> Maester Kelvin again, didn't you? Yeah, didn't I'm you? taking him. You're taking him? Taking Maester Kelvin. We got to get Susan to bed. All right, Susan, your next draw. Okay. Next up. And I would think that Allison is probably not prone to swearing, but there you go. The, the, the real danger is if she might say a dragon's name. That's the true. real danger for her. True, I don't think true any danger of her swearing yeah uh, at least not young allison um we'll see what happens with older allison. seven hells seven <laughs> hells all right susan your first number is 21 which is lord lionel strong Mm, um you know what i'll take him i'll take him yeah okay so yeah. for your first selection you are taking him remember you can reject the first draw anytime, which means you can reject this one. I love that character, BT Dubs. I do too. He's really interesting to me. Uh, uh-huh. 24. I already had 24, so you're probably going to want to re roll it. Unless we can both no, have the same I, character. Uh, 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 no, you can't have the same character. So, uh, 32. Kelly, do you teach like an Excel? Lady Lena like, Valarian. Lady Lena. Nope, I'm gonna Ooh. I'm gonna throw that one back. I'm gonna throw it back. Wow. Wow. Yeah, she hasn't Great been on in a couple episodes either. Now number no, 25. but I expect her and I have a feeling she's gonna be talking about some dragons. Yeah, <laughs> she likes talking about dragons. Uh, uh, you ended up with Jane. Just Jane. That's the only okay. name of the character. <laughs> so you're looking pretty decent here. I, I haven't really heard Lord Lionel Strong say too much in the way of strong or strong language. No, no. I think I'm I think I'm on a safe bet this week. We'll see. Yeah. Kelly, are you ready? Yeah. Your first number is seventeen. Seventeen is Grand Maester Melos. Ooh. Yeah, keep him. He's not gonna talk about any dragons and he's not gonna curse. Yeah. All right. Kelly looks to be safe on her first draw. Here's your second draw. 31. 31 is Sir Lenor. Oh, my God. 
So do I specifically want to get punished this next week? No. Throw it back. <laughs> Throw it back. Damn. Coward. Uh, 16. Exactly. 16 is Lord Jason Lannister. Bet we don't even see him. That's who I don't know. He was pretty big this week. He was pretty big this week, Kelly. Let's yeah. see. Uh, Holly He's had... talking about dragon pits. He might be like slumming, like a grump, being grumpy back at his castle or something because he got turned down. Went on. So here's my number. My first number is thirteen. Who is thirteen? Missaria. Will we even see her? Who knows? Mm. You know what? I'm gonna throw her back. Oh. Twenty-one. I have to take this one, Lord. No, nope. can't. can't take that one because Susan's already got him. Uh, number eleven. Number 11 is Princess. <laughs> uh, that's a strong possibility that we might see her and she might see a dragon name. That is guaranteed. Uh, guaranteed. Uh, I'm really uh, worried about that. Okay, for my second draw, number one, which would be Boros Baratheon. Not going to take that. I'm going to. I'm going to. That you're always number one in our Last heart. chance. <laughs> 20. Lord Lyman Beesbury. Well, at least we've seen him in episodes. That's who I'm stuck with. The names come up a lot in that book I've been reading recently. Mm. He seems like a pretty safe bet, too. Yeah, he doesn't usually say much. He's His stuff is more about facial expressions. <laughs> <laughs> or oddities about things that don't really seem to matter. Uh, I think that was the only his only lines in the first episode. So, uh, there we go. We have our drawing. John has Allison Hightower and Maester Kelvin. Oh, I have Princess Rainey's Valarian and Lord Lyman Beesbury. Susan has Jane, whoever the hell Jane is. And, <laughs> I like it. And Lord Lionel Strong and Kelly uh, had two right next to each other. Which was weird. Uh, Lord Jason Lannister and Grand Maester Melos. Only one piece of feedback to share. I'd love to share more with you folks, but I have to get some. And the only way I can get some feedback from you is if you send your tweets to at the letter B, the number four, the dragon pod on Twitter, or if you send emails to Matt's audioblog at gmail.com, that's M-A-T-T-S audioblog at gmail.com, or leave comments on our web posts at mattsaudioblog.com, or leave comments on our YouTube videos. Search for the word before, the Dragon Podcast, on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that like button while you're there. And leave a comment. Leave your thoughts about an episode. Because who cares what we think, as they like to say over there at the Double P. I will add for this podcast that we care what we think, but that doesn't necessarily mean that ours are the only opinions. We want to hear yours. We want to share yours with the world. 
So please leave a comment on the YouTube videos if that's where you're at, just as Nightwolf Nim did, who said, I love the episode, but I think it relied on the quote, rule of cool. That's a harking back to the three words during the awesome battle at the Stepstones, especially with the Damon plot armor. I had to turn off my brain to believe that he'd be able to dodge that many arrows for that long. I'm also trying not to question why the war lasted several years when it seemed just that easy to defeat the crab feeder. But the last 10 minutes was so intense and thrilling to watch that I don't need the answers because I loved it. Damon coming out of the cave with the torso is one of the wickedest moments that I've seen in the Game of Thrones universe so far. Right up there with the crown for a king moment in season one of Game of Thrones. Plus, we got a third dragon. The CGI was bad with the stags, but I like the symbolism with Rhaenyra and the White Heart, so it didn't bother me as much. CGI deer always look bad in shows, but Dexter ha also had a symbolic moment with the CGI white deer in the New Blood series that looked much better than the House of the Dragon one. Great thoughts, Nightwolf Nim. I really appreciate it. Let's close this puppy out. Here we go. We're wrapping it up now, folks. Final thought time. I want to appreciate, I really appreciate my panelists taking, you know, 90% of a whole day to record with me. It's wonderful uh, how, <laughs> how great and tolerant you guys are. Um, John is on vacation and wasted the entirety of an evening that he could spend in Portland. Uh, just so that, you know, well, I guess there's still time out there to get out a little bit, but not for very long. Anyway, uh, final thoughts, Kelly. Uh, we didn't mention it, but I do want everyone to go back. If you do a rewatch, check out the uh, tapestries in uh, the, the bedchambers of Viserys yeah. and um, Allison's. For some reason, they were bizarre and uh, caught my eye. So I want you all to enjoy them as well. So that's my final <laughs> thought of encouragement <laughs> also look for that fourth dragon it's a third and when i said i might be wrong i know <laughs> i'm sorry i'm just giving you trouble i know <laughs> okay uh susan final thoughts oh uh i enjoyed uh getting to interact with the full panel this week and um i'm looking forward to the next episode me too john final thoughts Keep on giving me them dragons, baby. Love it. Is that All the only thing that's keeping day. you? Is that the no. only thing that's oh. keeping you? Because actually, no, it's not. But go ahead, Matt. Hit me with it. I want more CGI deers. See ya. What?